Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. So do you want to maybe kick off with an introduction to who you are and, and um, your background? Uh, and then we'll go a bit more into some of the things we talked we were going to talk about. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, okay, so um, I suppose, yeah, a little bit about about me. So I'm, I'm the head of IT at Southampton Football Club. Um, so I suppose it's, it's, it's quite a, an interesting role. Um, there are kind of very few technology roles in, in elite football. Um, uh, especially Premier League football, so um, yeah, it's, for me, it's uh, it's really interesting because I, you know, I, I like I like football, and I've always loved love watching football. I've always been a fan of Southampton, so um, you might say it was a bit of a dream dream opportunity to to work <laughs> at, at, at the football club that I'm a fan of. But um, as it turns out, it it just adds to the stress, um, you know, of of working uh, in in a sort of technology leadership role. So. Um, there's that, I suppose. It's um, you know, in terms of, of, of the uh, the club itself, it's it's kind of a family uh, sort of centric uh, club. It's it, we only have about 400 staff, so um, it's kind of a medium sized business, really. Um, and you know, I've been in the role 18 months, so most of that time is you know the pandemic has has been happening, and I think you know obviously coming, I came into the role just before the pandemic. And obviously had a lot of plans, had a lot of ideas and wanted to obviously get out and, and meet people in the business and get the opportunity to really, you know, just really understand everything. And then it was about three months I had to um, I had to stop and, and sit and work remotely, which is where we are still. So I think that's that's kind of been the probably the biggest challenge overall is is still, you know, that that, that remote leadership and the, the remote role I've had to kind of take up. And and while we have been, you know, we've had meetings in in the stadium and, and, and other places, we you know most of my work's been remote, so that's kind of been been the bigger challenge. Um, although I'm not, you know, I'm not a stranger to remote working. In my previous role um, and my previous company, it was it was it was pretty much a an international um, role, and and therefore I was always um, you know working across different time zones and remotely as well. So that that's not new to me. So yeah, in terms of the current role it's it's pretty much traditional IT uh, mostly. Um, so the, the football club use uh, a lot of traditional IT in terms of infrastructure. Um, so networking, servers, cloud storage, digital applications, other things, end user, and then there's there's lots of other sort of technology now that, that kind of intersects and into different departments across the club. So. Um, we have a small team of 14, and my role is is really just to uh, be accountable for all the all the technologies that we look after. Bit of my background, really. I've worked in IT for probably about 20 something years now, and uh, I've always worked in. I suppose I started out in IT as as a service desk kind of support role. So the early part of my career was always a support and um, trying to build up my experience. And then uh, I suppose the more more recently I worked in in higher education, um, in in various technology leadership roles there. So for eight years that's what I was doing doing before the the role at, at Southampton, um, and that kind of helped me helped me build up my my experience in in this, I suppose a leadership role. Um, and, and over the years, you know, like any any technology leader, you know, you're exposed to lots of different applications, lots of different technologies, different types of industries and, and the way they operate. So kind of gone through that that whole time of, um, I suppose, what used to be legacy IT to now where we are. So it's been a, it's been a really interesting, interesting journey. So, so I'm very interested. You say you, you are a fan of the club. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so how did you get the job then? Were you at like a fan, was it a fan connection that got you in or? No, not, not at all. So... I suppose I was just in the market for a new role. Um, I was, I think I was um, sort of in the process of updating my CV and looking in the market. 
Um, and it, it just, it just happened, saw the role come up, um, at the football club on LinkedIn. And I just thought, you know, wow, that would be great. <laughs> um, but I also thought, you know, it's a high profile, although it's, a, as I say, it's a medium sized company, but it's high, pro, it's a high profile company because, you know, mm. it's a football, it's a Premier League club. Um, and I think the the public perception is that, you know, every Premier League club is, is swimming in cash. Mm. Um, so, you know, my, my initial perception of, of kind of get, applying for the role would be, you know, oh, crikey, I don't know if I'm experienced enough to do that or, you know, there'll be so many applications. I thought, okay, I'll, I'll apply, but, you know, I'll carry on focusing on, on, on other things. So, yeah, just that's how it started. Um, and I think being a fan really has no bearing on whether or not you you either understand the, the club or, or get a role in the club. It's, it's really, it's, it's, you know, it's... it's you know, it's, it's not applicable really. Mm. Um, I think from my side now working there, it's, as I say, I, when, when, the, when the team are playing, it just becomes more stressful because it's my work as well as, <laughs> as, you know, football stress. So that's the only real difference really. But, you know, nine to five, Monday to Friday, it's, it's a very um, sort of, I suppose, not normal business, but it's, it's, it, there are normal business operations. Yeah. Yeah, and and but I suppose your knowledge of football helps in conversations with people around, you know, solving their problems with technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've always been involved. I've always played football as well, so it's probably worth saying that um, I've been involved in amateur football for, you know, as long as I I could probably kick a ball. Um, so, and I've also done some coaching and, and stuff as well. So, I think from that side of things, there's an appreciation of the requirements of some of our users because we we do have probably half the people that work at the club are based around football and coaching and, you know, the medical side, the sports science, the analysts, all that kind of thing. So yeah, I absolutely understand that they have completely different needs to anyone maybe sat at a desk because they mm. don't, they don't have a desk or they don't, they don't use, they don't sit down much. So yeah, they, they have very different technology requirements, but I suppose when I was playing football, I didn't have any technology requirements myself because it was just, you know, a, a very sort of, wet and windy uh, local recreation ground that I used to play at rather than a, you know, an elite <laughs> sports uh, facility like we have. Um, but it is really interesting. I think one of the things I'm really keen to to continue doing in the role that's not really had the opportunity is, is kind of get get over to, you know, the football side of things because because of the pandemic, they've been, they've had to be uh, quarantined almost. So a lot of the staff that work at football, especially the first, anyone around the first team, because the Premier League have a lot of requirements for COVID regulations and, and making sure that the players are tested regularly. You know, my team and, and myself and, and a lot of other people, we're not able to go there and, and sort of be near them, it, you know, especially in the last, well, since the pandemic, really. So, yeah, it's it's been, I suppose, looking forward to, to hopefully next season. So from the end of this summer onwards, you know, just going back over there and, you know, working with the stakeholders a bit more closely. Mm. Yeah, because I think that, I mean, so my, my frame of reference is more more baseball, um, specifically from the data point of view and, and analytics. And I would think that would be the most fascinating thing to be working with the teams on is, is you know, how do they analyze comp- competition, specific other players, you know, game plans, um, but building, you know, Southampton solutions for it, as opposed to buying something off the, off the rack um, to an extent. Um, so, so how has that worked out for you then? I mean, how involved are you with the sort of, if you've got the internal infrastructure, which is, you know, back end, back office, that sort of stuff to the actual teams, is it, a, do they do their own thing and then there's sort of a guideline and, per, and parameters you give them or do they have to, you help to have to give them everything they need to do their, their jobs, if that makes any sense? Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, mainly everything, you know, they, they, they use everything that, that we support. So um, whether it's a, a kind of, corporate tool um, but they, they also have their own systems and databases that, that my team supports so I actually have a couple of people in my team that um, are focused on the data side so they look after all the databases and they support the the data requirements for some of the coaching and, and medical and football side of things so there's you know there's lots of data that, that they capture in football so whether it's medical data whether it's performance data so there's uh, as an example there's uh, a system called Stat Sports, where a player will wear a, a bib with a GPS device, um, mm-hmm. and it records their 
their effort during a training uh, game or, or an actual game. Um, and all of that data comes in. Um, and there's there's, a, there's an analyst team that work there that, that, that obviously try and make decisions around that data. So so I have a team, uh, someone in my team that, that that supports that database and, and works with with that analyst team to to either deal with this, you know, whether it's data cleansing or um, validation or that sort of thing, or, or just just you know the visualizations and just making it a bit easier for them to read. The, yeah, there's some really really interesting stuff as well. They they measure the the firmness of the, the grass as well. So they they have an actual oh, wow. physical. They have a okay. physical tool. Um, it's like a hammer that they drop on the grass. And that used to be a manual process. So they used to drop the hammer. It used to give a digital reading, but they used to write that down on a bit of paper. And, and they, they, they would drop it at various points around the pitch because, the, you know, a whole football pitch is, is, can be very different depending on the drainage and, you know, the, the sun and everything. So once they've got all that data, they used to kind of go back in as, you know, they could see where the, where the, where the hard bit of the pitch was or how soft it was in general. Um, but now we've actually digitized that. So um, the, the hammer actually connects to our Wi-Fi. It automatically sends the reading there to a database and then they can just go back into the office and actually see that or visualize straight straight away. They can, they can get that information. Um, so, so- is is there a, is it a coordinate still a coordinate system for where you're dropping the ham, hammer so that even though it's on the Wi-Fi you know where, which grid you are on the, on the pitch? Yeah, so they they I think they set they set that the, the hammer to you know whatever location they they may have on the pitch whether wherever they are whether it's the halfway line or the the uh, the area or you know wherever okay. they're recording. Yes, and then it feeds back in and and basically yeah the. The ground staff do that, but then the, the the coaches can then read that data and then they can decide, you know, do we want to use this pitch for training today um, because it may be too hard. If it's too hard, it might mean the players pick up injuries. Mm. Um, though sometimes they need a hard pitch to do some other stuff on. Um, they need a soft area of the pitch sometimes to do, you know, players that are coming back from injury. So it's really, really important to them um, to actually understand that. Uh, so yeah, there's some really, some really interesting stuff that, that we do around that. Um, and then there's all the, the medical data as well. Um, there's, there's a gym, which, as you can imagine, um, most, most, I suppose, measuring, uh, equipment. So they, they have, uh, they have to see how high they can jump or, um, to see how much they can press. And most, most of those have a, uh, a digital readout that, that they can either take or, some of them are automated, so they can they can see those readings. Um, so yeah, really interesting. Yeah, the mind's boggling. I'm thinking about all the, uh, you know, just 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 if you if figuring out on the pitch alone, if you're playing against a certain a certain competitor, you might make a harder pitch because they're used to a softer pitch. It gives you an edge. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's like, that's like a cricket pitch would be you know designed for fast bowlers versus spinners. Yeah, uh, I hadn't even thought about that as a as an option to be quite honest. And yeah, uh, they, they do they do that on the so the the actual the, the the stadium pitch as well. So before the home game, if we are playing at home, they'll do exactly the same on that. So they know they they can tell the coaching staff, you know, actually the pitch it's rained overnight, it's very soft here today, or whatever it might be. You know, they they've got sprinklers as well. They can they can make it you know different. Um, they can they can put more water on it if they need to. So um, it, it gives them that option. I'm just wondering if it would be considered cheating if you were to say water your side of the pitch more than, you know, if you know that you're going to be on the one side and make it harder to run on that side, makes it difficult, more difficult to strike. Yeah, I don't, I don't know <laughs> of any. Yeah, I think it does. So I think, you know, you, you sometimes hear managers, if they've not had a great result, um, complain about the pitch if they're playing away normally. Mm. Um, and yeah, there's, there's, been, there's been instances of maybe the underdog team making the pitch waterlogs um so mm. more difficult for better team to pass and things like that so um but yeah for us it's more i think just around driving better performance from our players and, and, and you know yeah. trying to give us the best opportunity to win um whatever you know it's, it's these, these small things that are the sort of elite sport and this is kind of what i've learned over the, over the time i've been in the role is it's sort of, everything's competitive so you know small kind of measures and um gains can, can really have a big impact so they're always looking at new things, I suppose. 
Yeah, look, it makes sense. I mean, it's, as I said, my, my reference is, is baseball, and that's always been a game of numbers um, and a game of inches. You know, can you can you jump that extra half an inch to to catch a ball that's been hit over your head or something like that? Um, and the stats around, uh, you know, how a player reacts in certain situations. You know, the sort of clutch a clutch player versus a, a non-clutch player. Um, so I can I can. I can see that competitive nature, you know, translates to every sport really. Um, and and then what have you done around something like the stadium, for example? Do you guys do stuff there with with your staff in mind, and maybe uh, actual fans coming to the venue? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so much there really. Um, I suppose I'll start with with the staff. So so like like a lot of sports teams that have a stadium, uh, staff normally work in the stadium as the head office so the same for us our stadium is also our head office uh, which which kind of gives us a very unique environment in which to work in we ha- we have a, a fairly normal corporate office area in in the in mm. the uh, in the stadium so um your normal sort of desks and uh, wi-fi and, and breakout rooms meeting rooms all that kind of thing so so we support all of that on the i suppose on the other sort of, sort of fan side of things we we have and we have sort of future plans for for some some more exciting technology so at the moment there's we have a, a new turnstile system to 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 provide us with a with a better way of getting fans into the stadium and also a ticketing platform uh, which we've recently changed so hopefully fa- the fan experience for for buying tickets is, is is more improved online for them we recently launched um a new app for fans so um the, the aim of the app is is really for us to be able to, to engage more digitally with with the fans, um, and, and there are sort of further plans to enhance it on a match day. So, um, you know, they can use the app to do certain activities and and, and maybe buy things on on a match day, um, and just engage, you know, in more depth with with the, uh, with, the with the club. So there's there's those products. There's physical other physical things as well. So we have a. We have hospitality Wi-Fi. Uh, we don't have in-bowl Wi-Fi yet, so um, most fans will find if they sit in the in the stadium when there's a full stadium, due to the density, they they, they struggle to get 4G or 5G. So um, we are looking at plans to to give them a service there, whether it's Wi-Fi or or, or sort of uh, 4G, 5G. Um, a lot of football stadiums, unfortunately, in the UK, we're, we're slightly behind the US, I think, in that. So a lot of the NFL stadiums have exceptional Wi-Fi, um, exceptional um, mobile signal. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of the old because football stadiums in the UK are, are quite old, uh, most mm. of them. And, uh, you know, ours, a lot of people think that Southampton is the St. Mary's is a new stadium, but it's, it's 20, 20, over 20 years old. So. Um, it was obviously built before the the digital age, so to speak. So it hasn't got the underlying infrastructure. But yeah, we are looking at that as a as a project for the for the next couple of years or so. Um, and yeah, we've 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 recently this this uh, in the last couple of weeks and, and the last few months we've been working on a on a project to replace the the big screens. So um, like like a lot of stadiums, we our stadium already has the big digital screens at either end. Um, so fans are going to obviously view replays and adverts, and you know, the, the, you know, obviously, obviously the score and other things as well. Um, the, the ones we had were were nearly ten years old, so we've um, we're replacing them this summer. So we've we've had a huge project to to look at improving that that as a service. Um, we're also as part of that, we're putting new displays in the concourse for fans, so they'll have bigger screens to look at when they go for um, food and drink at half time uh, also some some other led screens within the concourse and around the bowl um just to you know give fans better engagement and things like that so um that would be a really i think that'll be quite a big enhancement for fans when they when they do return um yeah. and we are looking at fans hopefully returning um from june onwards if if the uh, the uk government restrictions and roadmap kind of fulfills itself um but that's that's what we're hopeful for yeah, I, mean, I can imagine it's a, it, this is almost a, um, a good opportunity in a way to do those sorts of upgrades because um, you don't have to worry about the fixtures being being there as well. But I can yeah. also understand you want your fans there. And, th- and that app experience has become um, 
almost a critical thing now to your experience. You almost expect to have an app for the, for the, like, you know, going to watch rugby or going to watch football. You want a, an app that does everything, pre-order your beers, pre-order your food, you know, it gets good data for you from a consumer point of view, but also from a service provider point of view, because you know what's coming. Yeah. Uh, some more predictability. I could definitely see that working in your favor. And then, I mean, what, what are the, what is your sort of, if you had to compare yourself to other football organizations, I mean, where, where is the, who are the guys to really try and emulate as, as being the top, the top dogs? I mean, I think, yeah, obviously it goes without saying that, you know, we're not the, a big six club. Um, that's, that's just the, the nature of our history and, and where we are. And I think, a Premier League, any Premier League club is 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 a um, is normally a well-run club, and for us, it's it's just continuing to to do that. Um, you know, obviously, we we will look at other other people that have had success, and you know, how do we how do we achieve that, or how do we how do we look to that? But we we obviously have our own means and and our own sort of club strategy to follow and, and that's you know and our values as well so that's that's always important to us and I think as well fan base you know we're never going to be uh, I suppose like Manchester United where they've got uh, you know apparently uh, one billion fans globally you know that's that's just you know completely um, out, out of uh, unattainable really but you know, I think from a technology perspective myself and, and on all the other lead, technology leaders across the Premier League and, and, and in other sports we we, we do speak online regularly, whether it's um, you know, just on LinkedIn or just building, building our own relationships. So I visited, I have already visited other stadiums and, and looked at their solutions and what they're doing. Mm. There are some stadiums that have been recently built. So so the, the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, for example, is probably one of, it's probably the, the best example of a football stadium in the world at the moment in terms of, um, you know, the, the way it's been built and around technology. Um, so I had I had an opportunity to go there and, and look at all that, and we're really just sort of finding out what what's working best for them, mm. and how we can kind of achieve some of that at, at St Mary's. Um, so yeah, I think I think for us it's always just work within our means, but but also look at you know what what our priorities are and you know what our fans need and what they what they expect as well. Do you, do you interact much with the fans? I mean, do you have like a I'm trying to think of the word now, but like a you know a chatbot sort of interface where you hear from the fans what they're looking for. Uh, yeah, so so my team not so much, but the yeah we, we have a uh, we have a supporter services team. They interact with. We don't. I don't think we have a chatbot, so to speak, at the moment. That's something that we're looking at rolling out. But mostly it's been uh, sort of social media communication, uh, email communication. Uh, we obviously we we have just rolled out the app, so looking at how we can communicate with fans in the app. I think a lot, we found a lot of our fans that you know they like to either communicate or, or put their views on social media. So we we have a, a media team that that manage all of that stuff. So that's that's really important, and that, and that you know goes without saying for any other uh, any other football club. And then yeah, obviously once we get fans back, you know it'd be great to to engage with them, you know, in, in that sort of digital space that we now have in the stadium and just see what we can do with that. Because, you know, we haven't had fans for over a year now. For You know, we, we had a small number of fans in December, but it's, you know, it was only 2000. So sure. really looking at getting people back in and uh, looking forward to getting people back in. And, and what, uh, What's the what's the capacity of your stadium? It's 30,000. So, okay, so that's um, 2000. Yeah, in, in terms of... Premier League standard is probably sort of sort of in the mid range, really. Um, so, you know, I think most most of the stadiums uh, will be, you know, between thirty, forty thousand. Um, some of the bigger stadiums will be, you know, upwards of sixty to to eighty thousand. Mm. Yeah, I can imagine that that having two thousand, they would almost be, I don't want to say laughable, but you but you know, you'd, you'd hardly see them for the chairs. Um, yeah, that was interesting. So the government allowed us to have fans. Um, it was a very small window that we had uh, between the November 2020 lockdown and the December kind of tiers that they they brought out. And Southampton was in a in a I think tier two, which meant that we were allowed to have 2,000 fans. But it was yeah, we were hoping at that point, you know, to build up on. You know, coming into the new year this year, we were hoping you know it would, get, it would increase. But obviously, then we had the January lockdown as well. So, um, you know, it's been as I say, we've we've had this, the door shut since then. 
yeah, I know it's it's. Uh, I think we all wish for the normality of of watching sport live, um, which we all took for granted for a bit. Um, I think we'll take it for, at least we won't take it for granted for a while. Maybe the next generations will. Um, yeah. Now we, going back a little bit to the data side of things, um, you talked about one thing was was Stat Pro. I think was what you mentioned. Uh, Stat Sports, yeah. Stat so Sports, that's, uh, yeah. That's one of the um, systems that we have. Well, what are the other ones that you guys use, and, and and is there quite a big focus on on collecting data to use it as part of decision making? Yeah, so I think I think probably Statsports is probably the best example. Really, there there are um, there are other data that we we have from um, any football fans that follow the Premier League will know about Opta. So that's that's a, a really kind of big way that we can or a, a big repository of data that we can access. So opt to collect event information from football games so they they then sell that data to to anyone that wants it so whether it's broadcasters or or football clubs themselves um to then make decisions so yeah we we, we have our own the stat sports one is a gps it's basically a gps solution so uh, the data is, is mostly sort of gps and we can see the, the player it's linked to an individual player so we can see the player's effort we can see, you know, how fast they were running out or how, how they weren't, where they were on the pitch, that kind of thing, that sort of heat mapping. Um, the Opta and there's there's other providers of data that do event information in, in games. So it can be used for our, for our own team. You know, we can we can see how many passes a certain player made, um, you know, how many shots they had on target, that kind of thing. Uh, but also, you know, we can we use it for opposition as well, so we can understand you know how an opposition plays, um, and that and that, that that data is publicly available. So opt to sell that to anyone, and they, they make it available. You can probably go and search that that data. Um, there is there is other companies as well. I think Statsbomb is is another one that do the same thing. Yeah, and it's it's really just a case of it depends on how you as a football club want to use that data and and what you you know what you actually think you you need from that. Because as I say, it's available. It's just a, it's, a, it's a mass of event information. So, do you have a data science team that's that's looking at that all the time and asking questions of it? And yeah, yeah, we do. So, on the football side, um, they have um, various um, people that work in in data and whether it's uh, sort of sports science, um, but also sort of into we have a data insights team as well. We, we they're now called. Um, and yeah, they they, they 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 work on all that data. They provide analysis to coaching staff, medical staff, uh, on you know whether it be a, an upcoming match or training, or helping a player return from injury or any of that kind of stuff. They they have all that data and they 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 manage that accordingly. Yeah, so you know most I think most football clubs have that. I think we historically we've we've kind of been at the forefront of that, probably more so over the years. So we we have quite a large team involved in that um, and we're, we're fairly mature now so um, we're able to sort of use the data as, as much as possible to, to make the right decisions. Cool and um, with with having the data are you finding that that your users that are using that data are becoming more technically savvy so that so they're what I'm trying to get to is almost the self-service part to this at some stage or is this very much still a separation between the business user and the, the data science team? Um, yeah, I suppose if you, if you speak to um, my team that, that work with the data, they'd probably say you know there was, there's obviously some users that that are um, are exceptional with the data, and the the, the 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 team that work in the data insights team and the analysts that we have, you know, they they have to have qualifications in all of the the sort of data platforms that you have now, whether it's Power BI or whatever it is. So they they have those skills, but there are other end users that work in other roles that just want to see, you know, a a simple um, dashboard or whatever it might be of that data. So I think we, we just have to work with those users. I know that the uh, the guys in my team that, that work in with those um, individuals, you know, they they have spent a lot of time giving them information, training, and you know that self service approach is something that we that we want to look at going forward. But yeah, it's very much down to I think there are now as you as you know, there's there's so many platforms out there that um, that you can get you can read data through and and get information from so i think our users are definitely becoming more savvy around it and you know they they also they have to you know they have to have that that information they have to have that those skills and training is there any advice you'd give to a, a person coming into your sort of role that would be help them to be prepared 
Uh, what, in, in, in an IT sense or from a data side? Data, IT, going into a sporting environment? I think, I, yeah, I think for me, I mean, I, I didn't have any uh, background in sport. So I think there's a lot of people that, that are really interested in getting into sport because, you know, like me, they're a fan, they're a consumer. Mm. Um, and they think it's, you know, it's they see it up as a very glamorous uh, career. But I think, yeah, I think the key thing is really just to, if, if you're interested in working in sport, is really just to try and understand how, how sport works. And if you're interested in working in data, there's a, there's a lot of books on, on sports data now and sports science and things like that, and or data science, sorry. Um, and I, as a fan, I read those things. Um, but just to have a general understanding is really useful. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the key thing. I think for me, you know, to be honest with you, probably why I got the role was was based on people, you know, my experience of working with people. And that's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we, we are a, a family orientated club and you know, we, we're very much focusing on the people that we have as staff and also the people that are our fans. Um, and we've got some, you know, some really strong values around that. So, you know, for me, it was all around, I want to work in that environment and, and work with people and, and develop people. And one of our values is, is potential into excellence and um that's you know basically means that you know you've got someone with potential and giving them the opportunity and developing them to 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 uh, to, to give excellence and for me i've always enjoyed doing that with people that i've i've worked with and um people that i've i've been a leader for um, and i think that's that's a definite value that you need to understand the value of, of way you know the values of the of the organization that you're looking to join as well it's a very interesting way you put that potential to excellence. So I, I can almost imagine that coming out of the football side into the business side. So you take someone who's got potentially some talent, but they need to have it channeled and guided and coached and, and the rest of it. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, probably it's probably the strongest value that we have at Southampton. We, we're known, I suppose, if you were to ask any any average football fan in the world, you know, and you ask them about Southampton, they'll, they'll say they probably will come back with, you know, they, they're very good at developing youngsters and, and they've got a really strong academy. And, you know, over the years, we've we've been able to produce players like, um, you know, Theo Walcott, Gareth Bale, Alan Shearer, Matt Letiz, um, you know, Oxford Chamberlain more recently and Luke Shaw. So there's, there's players that have come through our academy that have gone on to either be successful with us or successful on, on the sort of global stage. Mm. Um, and yeah, they've, we've absolutely taken that value from football and um, worked that through the rest of the business. And um, yeah, we, we have, it's a really good, it's a strong value because I think, you know, sport and, and if, if, if a sports organization like, like us, you know, we've been around for over a hundred years, you know, we've developed that those values significantly and they've matured over a long time. Whereas, you know, some other organizations out there, you know, that are not football or not sport, you know, they don't have those those values so much sort of within them. So for us, it's very important to be able to leverage that and, and kind of percolate that through the rest of the business. Yeah, you make me wonder, I mean, when, you, when you're hiring someone, do you look at whether they've played sport or not and what kind of sports they've played to see if they are right fit for your culture? Not, not personally for me. Um, so in the IT team, you know, we're a mixed bunch, really. Some of the guys will, you know, we, we have played sports. Some of them are really not into that, and it's not not important for me. But yeah, I think obviously if you're if you're going into a sporting role, uh, within you know, yes, you would probably have to have had some interest or understanding or, or qualification in sport. But yeah, no, not at all. It's I mean, the cultural fit for me again, it goes back to the people, and I think yeah, it it just. We we speak to, to, to candidates and we have done recruitment recently around just making sure that individuals that, that we're looking to bring in fit the culture. Um, you know, we do ask them about our values and whether they understand them or what they think of them. So once you know they, they're able to speak about that, we're, we're able to sort of understand whether or not they'll, they'll be a good fit or not. Yeah. I mean, what I was thinking while you were speaking is that, that um Maybe not playing sport is important, but being involved in things where they've had to collaborate with others. Because most of what we do now, specifically when you're working remotely, is being able to talk mm. and share and, you know, trust other people. Um, where it's okay to be an individual, but you've also got to be able to collaborate as a team. Um, you know, and there might be different forms nowadays. Mm. So, hmm. yeah, absolutely. I think, um, 
you know, we've actually brought in a couple of people into my team in the last year that that we, we haven't been able to meet them. For, you know, they've been working remotely, so they've had to develop those skills um, remotely and try and grasp the business remotely as well, a bit, a bit like myself. So, yeah, I think for us, it's all around. Yes, communication is a really big, a big thing for us as well. So what has been, I mean, you, you came into the role 18 months ago. You, you feel now that you're, you're settled, I think, probably 18 months down the road. What are you, what are you feeling like 2021 is going to be for you? Yeah, I think I started talking about it earlier. So, you know, I was, I started in November before the pandemic. So I had about three months to orientate myself and meet everyone that I could try and meet and really, you know, get going as I, as I, as I was sort of planning. And then the pandemic then came in and, and we had to all work remotely. And, and actually at that time, March, 2020, the, the whole of football was, was stopped for about three months. So it was a huge, huge slap to the business. Mm. Um, so yeah, for me, my priorities changed as, you know, a lot of people across the world. And yeah, I think for, for us now where we are, a year later, um, you know, I, I'm just looking forward to getting back in into the stadium a bit more regularly because, you know, most of our staff are still working remotely 100% of the time, um, working with the team in person. And and as I said earlier, you know, for us, our operations, our, our normal operations are having match days and having fans. You know, there aren't that many businesses out there that invite 30,000 people to their head office every weekend, but that's what we do as a business. And, you know, looking forward to just getting that back, you know, as we were. Um, and then next season as well, we'll, we'll start um, in August, September. So, yeah, just looking forward to the, to the season kicking off and hopefully having a full stadium of fans. Yeah, I hope so too. Just another question. The information security side or the cybersecurity side, does that fall under your remit? Or is that a separate role in the organisation? Uh, yeah, at the moment it does, does fall under our remit. So I suppose that's probably an area that we've, tackled um head on in the last 18 months since i joined and um had a had a bit of a strategy around that so yeah we we look after it and um sort of driving a lot of change across the business at the moment in in that space i think going forward as we mature you know it'd be be something that we we can hopefully have a have a separate role for um but yeah we've got a couple of technical roles in my team um that, that work in security um and then and then also myself sort of driving driving the, the maturity forward. And we, we have uh, other people in, in, in our wider division that, that are experts in legal and risk and things like that. So we, we, we work quite closely as a team around cybersecurity. Yeah, the reason why I asked the question is that <clears throat> obviously the, the, the amount of people who have come into the, into the building are potential, I don't want to say invaders, but there's always the opportunity for something to, to happen. Um, but being more remote now, you're also not physically checking out your your your, your stadium stuff, for example, or your, your office stuff. How, how have you managed? Uh, have you had people going into the office to to do pen tests and, and that sort of thing, or has it been mostly on the remote stuff? Yeah, I mean, from a I suppose a couple of aspects really. So we've 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 done a lot of work on on sort of cybersecurity maturity over the last year anyway. So we've we've just gotten through Cyber Essentials. So there was a lot of work that we did around that, and we've we've rolled out some new technical controls as well. So um, we upgraded our, our firewalls. We've we've rolled out different security versions of, of 365, and and kind of uh, I suppose um, you know improved improved the, the, all the technical stuff that we can. Uh, we do have regular pen testing uh, anyway every year. That's kind of one of our things that we do, and obviously work off the back of those recommendations. But yeah, physical security. I mean, the stadium. We, we've got two sites of so the stadium and the training ground. They're both both physically locked by our I suppose, our security team. We we have a physical security team there, so people gaining access is is uh, is, is fairly well regulated. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's always that added risk being a football stadium that you know when we have thirty thousand fans that fans potentially can get into areas that they shouldn't do. We we did have an incident a few years ago where I, before I joined apparently where some fans broke into our office. I think they were just drunk. <laughs> so they didn't mean any harm, but I think it was just one of those situations. Um I think 
you know we, we we look at we look at how we can improve security and it's, it's more safety of people you know making sure that they are safe and we've mm. got a quite a big cctv system which my team look after as well so that's we're, we're reviewing the uh, uh the relevance of that at the moment and, and what improvements that we, we may have for that and i think if, you, if you've probably seen the news you look at what happened at manchester united a couple of weeks ago they had um protest fan protest break into the stadium so it shows that it can happen, um, and I'm not sure, you know, those fans weren't interested in doing any um, sort of cybersecurity crime, but they, you know, they they certainly were there protesting, and I think it just shows you that you need to be ready for anything. Yeah. Do you guys do anything around business continuity planning and disaster recovery plans and that kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So it's one of those one of those things that we we worked on in the last year, especially with with the pandemic. Mm. Um, so we we've got a cybersecurity partner that we work with now, uh, where we are doing cloud backups of everything. So we've got an offsite, we've got we've got new offsite backups for everything, as well as um, our site to site and other 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 backups we have. Um, that's obviously really important from a uh, security perspective. Um, and in terms of business continuity, I think just, just like a lot of businesses, you know, when when all of the staff were being told to work remotely at the start of March last year, um, you know, people were trying to roll out business continuity, you know, in real time. And you kind of made, it, you know, there wasn't a business that had, we were ready for that, I don't think. So I think that it was it was just a case for similarly for us, just getting our staff working and then and then reviewing what we need to improve next time and um, and then just adopting, you know, new ideas into those plans. Yeah, I mean, I think we, I think everyone's been running in business continuity for the last year, but you almost need to have a new business continuity flavor in case you never go back to an office where you would have almost the old fashioned way of doing business continuity, you know, two different sites and, and whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think we're in for an interesting change in that sense. What are your thoughts on, on working from home versus working in the office versus a hybrid sort of half and half or two thirds? Mm. I, I think it's really interesting actually, because I've heard this discussion probably going around for the last six months or so. And I'm starting to think slightly different things about it. So, you know, I think let's let's go back to, you know, before the pandemic, you know, tell me what business didn't have some kind of, you know, remote working capacity. You know, most, most, most businesses offered remote working to staff. Most businesses offered flexible working to staff. Most businesses were adopting some cloud in some way. And I think... Yes, the pandemic accelerated a lot of that for businesses that were left behind. But I think going forward, I don't think there's going to be. A, I think there's there's already been a shift. I don't think there's going to be a shift. Any any, you know, not we're not going to suddenly go right now. There's a line. We're now all hybrid working. I don't don't think that's going to happen. I think it's it's very much based on the business that you're in, the industry that you're in, and it's whatever works best for you uh, so i think for us you know we've got two two locations a lot of the people that work for us need to be at those locations to do their roles not from a technology perspective but mm. from a people perspective um so i think we'll see you know that happen and people will go back and you know and but also because everyone's been working remotely for so long we've now got digital practices that we didn't have before you know people the, the adoption of teams went up you know from uh, you know just a few hundred uh, a few tens of people to, to everyone in the company within you know within a month of the pandemic so now everyone uses that as a central kind of comms platform so i think yeah we'll, we'll see those practices brought into working from the office um yeah so i think it's such an interesting discussion because I don't think there's there's one rule that one fit for any business really. It depends on 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 how you need to operate and how you have been operating. And I think those businesses that have publicly come out and said, you know, all our staff can now work re remotely forever and we don't need an office and all that. But that's that's their use case. You know, that's their um, priority and that's what they want to do. But it's it's not going to work for everyone. So I think yeah, for us it's going to be. Let's get back in. But then we know now staff, I mean, at the end of the day, staff now have better remote working digital skills. That's that's probably the best, been the best benefit from it. Yeah, yeah it's definitely pushed uh, everyone up to the same level, or at least 
uh, a general a general common common understanding of how it could work and and what's possible, which is which is great. Um, I think we maybe ended up there. And this is anything else you want to want to add? No, no, I think all good, really. Yeah, um, I, I was going to tell you a, a story actually from oh good yesterday. It's, it's mm. a digital story that you might laugh about, and I, I, it just kind of made me laugh this morning. So. I was out with my um, my my wife and, and two kids yesterday, and we we, we had a day out, um, and we, we were having a picnic, and um, we were just about to sit down and, and have lunch. And I looked at my phone, and I had a notification saying that one of my online cameras had been offline for 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 an hour. And I thought I didn't think anything of it. I thought, okay, the internet's probably gone down at home. Don't worry. So we had lunch. And then I had a few minutes, so I thought I'll quickly check the, the, the camera now, see if it's working. Um, and I clicked on the notification, it went into the camera, and I could see the camera at home, uh, which is the, the one in the lounge, so I could see everything in the lounge. But I could hear in the background um, a high-pitched alarm, and I was thinking, well, hang on, what is that? So <laughs> I was there on my phone thinking, right, okay, let's check the other cameras. So... I checked some other cameras that we've got in the house and outside, and I could hear the alarm as well. And we, you know, I didn't know what the alarm was. I could, I could think inside it's only going to be the, the smoke alarm or something. So hmm. there I was, sat there. We were about a half an hour away from home. I was thinking, hang on, is my house burning down? Um, you know, yeah. I, I, I said to my wife, I said, you know, can you hear that alarm? I said, you know, there's something going off at home. What's? Did we leave the oven on? You know, did. Yeah. Did we leave the hob on or something? And I thought, I can't see any flames. And then I checked our thermostat at home to think, oh, I'm getting really paranoid now. I'm going to check the temperature in the house. And it was normal. So I thought, okay, it's not burning there. But then I thought, what do we do? Do we, do we, do we go home now and find out what's going on? So um, luckily, um, my wife's mum and dad were, were in the area. So... She could see on, and again, another digital solution, she could see on, find my friends on an iPhone. That she could see the, where they were. So she called them and said, oh, can you, you've got a spare key. Can you go in and see what the alarm is? We can hear an alarm on the camera. Anyway, so 10 minutes later, they arrived. Um, they came in and they, they found that it was our, uh, our digital doorbell, our, our front doorbell, <laughs> smart doorbell, um, had somehow reset and... Was beeping really like like a fire alarm for some reason. Never heard it do that. Um, <laughs> a feature, yeah. And they called us back and said, "No, it's fine." I think there's, they said, "I think there's been a power cut," and I think that's what's happened. It's just reset everything in your house, and that that kind of explains why the camera was offline for an hour. So I just thought when I got back home yesterday, I thought it's so funny. You know, you've if we didn't have any of these digital products at home, we wouldn't even know that was happening. Yeah. And we've got them all in as a solution, but they caused me a massive problem yesterday because I just had no idea what was going on. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it was funny. And I, I, I told my team this morning because I just thought I was in a bit of a predicament yesterday. So I, I could totally relate to that. So I've got cameras back at a house in the UK and um, I've got a camera that's on the car, you know, because yeah. the car's still with us. But it's got a solar panel to charge. But when I put the solar panel up, I wasn't really sure if it was on the right, but it was charging, so I left it. But it got to a point where it obviously was not charging just enough. And I had to get a friend of mine to go and move the solar panel to get the right sun. But it's like, it defeats the whole object of having cameras at your house because if it doesn't charge, it's going to run out of battery that I'm going to lose the, the eyes anyway. So you're still dependent on some, some manual intervention, which is where you were with your parents. You needed someone to still go and check on the house. Um, which maybe, you know, if you didn't have all the technology, you wouldn't worry about it. Mm. So, yeah, I, it's, made, it's made me think, do I need to add more, you know, uh, sensors in the house for the future and find <laughs> out what's, you know, more detail what's going on? Um, but yeah, it just it just just occurred to me that, you know, my wife said, you know, she doesn't really get involved in any of these things. And she said, you know, well, you've got all those cameras at home. You don't, you know, it's, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't need to watch them all the time. And yeah, it's just it's just funny how how we have our homes now as you know IoT everywhere and smart devices yeah, everywhere, yeah. and they become really ingrained in our lives. So just a, a really interesting. Uh, no, it's a great story because the other thing that I want to do, which I don't know if you've looked at, is having smart switches that turn the lights on and off. And you can, because we've got a really nice um, kitchen, dining room, lounge area, but the sun comes in there. Um, so as, as the sun comes over in summer, you get sunlight from about uh, 11.30 till 
seven o'clock straight into that room. But people leave the lights on and it bugs me. So I want to get smart smart light switches with with um, uh, solar detection to see to see the strength of the sun and and dim the lights appropriately to zero and then bring them up as the sun goes down, the lights come up. Complete complete hobby fetish. <laughs> <laughs> so I can understand where your mind is, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm a bit I'm a bit I'm always a bit of an early adopter for consumer technology, I must say. So I'm always, yeah, if I see something that's cool, that's not too expensive, I'll, 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 get, I'll try it out. So, so, so what do you think you're going to do? You're going to add a, a backup system to your, your current system, two doorbells? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, with that, now we know what it is, then that's fine. Um, but we do, you know, like, like a lot of homes, you know, you, you have a smoke alarm anyway, don't you? You know, you just yeah. have them. They're not necessarily smart, but everyone has them. So, yeah, that's exactly what I thought it was. So, yeah, you kind of, um, you're just hoping you never, you know, have to have to use it at all <laughs> yeah so. well exactly exactly i mean you almost want to have that that 3d representation of your house on your phone so you can see a 3d representation you can see the smoke alarm going off or not you know all the sensors that they'll tell you what's going on in each room yeah you know d- definitely definitely with the, the dream <laughs> <laughs> i think yeah i think a lot of modern homes i'd imagine now have that, you know at least some sort of integration built in i'd imagine for, for smart tech you know, as I said, it's a bit a bit like our football stadium where, you know, it was built 20 years ago. You know, had it been built 15 years ago or 10 years ago, it probably would have, you know, better fiber connected into it mm. or, um, you know, better ducting and things like that for, for, for wiring. So, you know, it's just... It shows you how the the, the, way, the age we live in now is, is not been... You know, we, we haven't had so much uh, in terms of connect- connectivity hasn't been a huge thing until the last sort of 10 years or so. So um, it just shows you how quickly everything's advanced. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny because the house we got in the UK, we, it, was, it was a new build and they actually put the Ethernet cables in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the reasons why I wanted, wanted that house was it was a new build. And it, and it fascinates me. When you go and look at a house now, even one that's built in the last five years and they haven't done it, you're like, but surely people should know by now that you need these things, especially mm. with like 4K TVs and 8K TVs. Mm. You, can't, you can't really push that stuff over Wi-Fi. Um, or you're gonna get great, always get a great experience out of that. So the, the speed of some of the stuff isn't, isn't pulling things along fast enough in other areas. Mm. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. What's yeah. the best way for people to get hold of you if they want to get in contact? Um, I'm, I'm on quite active on LinkedIn. So yeah, just search, search my name on, on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, you know, I get a lot of messages on there, try and respond to, to as many as I can. Um, and just feel free to drop me um, a message or, or a connection. And um, that's probably the best, the best place. Sounds good. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Right. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.